time ago I can still remember when that music used to make me smile and I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy for a while the February made me shiver with every paper I deliver bad news on the doorstep I couldn't take one more step and I can't remember if I cried when I read about his widowed bride something touched me deep inside the day the music died you know the rest yeah hey that's my that's my vocal debut <laughs> but you know the rest of the song and they were singing bye bye it gets better from that slow kind of hook and then it kind of draws you in and before you know it you're just like did you write the book of love and it's just a great rock and roll song right buddy holly's tragic untimely death was the uh, impetus a lot of people say for don mclean writing that song don mclean was 13 years old when buddy holly died uh, and uh, they've asked, we've asked Don McLean, we as a culture, as a globe, have asked him to interpret the song for us because it hits maybe 45 different illusions. It's eight minutes of rock and roll glory. And, uh, and here's what Don said. He said, what does the song mean to me? Well, it means I'll never have to work again. <laughs> you got to love that. He kind of always kept reporters, he kept the media like, I'm not going to tell you what the song means. Uh, you can plumb to its depths. But finally, the, the lyrics went up for sale, the original handwritten lyrics, and, and he did say that this would shed light on what the song was about. You can Google all that stuff. Uh, but his bottom line to people wanting to understand the song was, it's beyond analysis. They're poetry. <laughs> you don't need to analyze this to death. This is poetry. And I love that that's what we come to in the scriptures when we come to the Psalms. You can actually, if you're a beginner in the Bible, you can just flip your Bible open right to the middle and you land in the Psalms. I actually landed in Proverbs that time. So. <laughs> but you're not far from Psalms if you do that. And the Psalms are just poetry. They are meant to be sung like we've sang this morning. They are not meant to be 25-minute teaching segments like we're about to do today. But there is a way to dive deeper into the poetry of the Psalms. And so my encouragement to you, and this is just a, a challenge, is to be a person of the Psalms. Like when you don't know what to pray, turn to the Psalms and just read a Psalm for the day. I, uh, I read through all 150 Psalms every month. So I just pick five a day, boom. And like, they're just washing over me. They're, they're my prayer book, you know? And I just want to challenge you to, if you're stuck, you're like, I don't know what to pray. Just open to the Psalms and figure out a way to do something every day. Right now, as a community, we're reading through the Psalms. Uh, and it's been a really beautiful way to engage with, uh, with poetry, but also poetry that reveals who God is. Now, um, the day the music died was 
was a seminal season. It was a concrete something for Don McLean. And I want to suggest to you that Psalm 103, I have some challenges with it. We're going to read it here in just a moment. I have some difficulty with it because it doesn't always ring true to my life's song. And so I want to read Psalm 103 to you. You'll see the words on the screen. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. It goes on from there. There's a handful more verses. But, but for me, in the psalm points me to a day the music died. And, uh, and by illustration, I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. And our two-year-old is in like, like, I don't believe in the terrible twos. I might believe in the terrible threes, okay? Like, I think this something happens at the age of two or three where a child rears their ugly head and they become really challenging. But two right now, like, I just want to press record, and listen to her talk all day long. <laughs> She's the sweetest, you know? And there's this like, okay, daddy, love you, daddy. Yes, daddy. And I know that's learned behavior. Like child psychologists would tell you, She's, she doesn't really love you. She's just mimicking what you tell her to say. I'm like, yeah, sure, but it feels good. <laughs> you know? We're walking on a trail uh, a couple weeks ago on vacation and she's, I guess, in her happy spot, which is nature perhaps. And she says, love you, daddy. And I, I said, I love you, Adeline. And she goes, love you too. <laughs> so I put this here on the screens for you to see because it's just funny. So if you're with me, this is what happens. She says, I love you, daddy. And I say, I love you, Adeline. And she goes, I love you too. It's like, it's just not necessary. The last I love you too, but it's just that rich and overflowing for her in her heart. But something happens because I was that two-year-old kid. Like I, I recently found an eight track like that. My dad had given me, and it's, I don't have an 8-track player, so I need to be able to discover what's on here. But it was before they had a video camera, and they just recorded me talking. That's how much they loved the sounds of two-year-old me, how parents love the sounds of their two-year-old child. But something happens, right? Two to eight to 12 to 15, 16. And, and before you know it, I remember a very contentious relationship as a teenager, as an adolescent in my parents' home where doors were slammed and I had to have the last word. And, and this, this correction, this thing that my two-year-old daughter, that even I as a two-year-old responded to my parents, even when they corrected me in a really loving way, I received their correction. Something changed. That's not abnormal. It happens to all of us. Daniel Siegel writes in uh, Brainstorm, which is a book about the adolescent years between 10 and 25, 25 if you're a male, <laughs> Apparently, females complete adolescence at an earlier age than men, which could explain some decision-making that happens in our world. 
But uh, here's what Daniel Siegel writes in Brainstorm. Adolescence is not a period of being crazy or immature. It's an essential time of, of emotional intensity, social engagement, and creativity. This really important time in the life of a, a brain that's becoming an adult brain. Goes on, uh, Daniel Siegel does and says this, the work of adolescence, the testing of boundaries, the passion to explore what is unknown and exciting can set the stage for the development of core character traits that will enable adolescents to go on to lead great lives of adventure and purpose. And so it's normal to experience this kind of pushback and pull and as you, the parent, <laughs> are trying to wrestle with the adolescent mind in your house. And, and that may or may not be you, but what I want to suggest is that the day the music died for me was somewhere in there when my parents correcting me or any authority, any authority correcting me landed in a funky place, but not a like, ooh, I love that you did that place. And that's the day, the season where the music died. You know, uh, we begin as spiritual infants in a journey. Some of, some of you perhaps said that yes to Jesus even during worship today and you begin this journey as a spiritual baby. And there's a sense that, that we have some adolescent years with God too where we just want to slam the door and we just want to say, I don't want to do that. And I think I know better than you do, God. David, the author of Psalm 103 was a really complicated character. So this is the king of God's people, David. The one who killed Goliath. Like, he's not king when he kills Goliath, but somehow he arrives at this place where God has chosen him to be the king of God's people. And power, we know this in our society and world, power can really corrupt an individual. And it does that for David. I mean, he is good, bad, and ugly. Like, he checks all the boxes. A good king, yes, but a bad king. And there's some ugly moments in his life. He takes a woman, uh, Bathsheba is her name, to be his mistress. She's married, and he takes her from another man. And the story goes, and you can read this in First and Second Samuel, is that David, his lust gets the best of him. And he starts to make blind decisions about this man who whose wife he's stolen's future. And, and Bathsheba, this woman, had, can't say no to the king. Like, the picture of power here is just a little too familiar for our current context with the Me Too movement and, and things like that. Like, David is king and he's exerting his power. He has the, the husband killed on the front lines of battle because he's the king staying cozy in his palace, but he's has to eliminate this man who he's mistreated. And, and Psalm 51, which we're not going to dive into today, but Psalm 51 is his repentance of that story. Psalm 51 and Psalm 103 really go hand in hand for us to understand this man, this good, bad, and ugly king who decides to put his pen to paper and write what he really believes about God. Now this... Uh, this message doesn't mean that, uh, and this psalm doesn't mean that God erases consequences from our lives. David's life is chock full of tragic, awful consequences. 
But that man is somehow able to pen these words and these words which say, the Lord forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. He's slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse. When David wrote those words, can you imagine like, he felt like the target, I'm sure, of a lot of his own decisions. And he writes here, God will not always accuse. He will not harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our sins. And David just goes on and on. And eventually he writes about this father-child relationship. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. It's words that just mean a whole lot more when you realize David's good, bad, and ugly life. And you realize this is a guy who had to wrestle with, did God really, really love him despite all of his warts? Did he really cast his sins as far as the east is from the west? Did he really remove his actions that far away from, from him? Did God really do that? Did he remember his sin no more? Like that's, that's a weakness to me. If I'm forgetful, my kids tell me, you forgot. It's like, well, that comes across as a weakness. Well, here's the one weakness that God allows himself to have to be forgetful. To say your sin is cast away from you, from me, and I remember it no more. I've, uh, I've had a couple of these moments uh, from different authorities in my life. I, I still live as a 38-year-old adult man. I live under authority. You live under authority, whether that's someone... Uh, at the governmental level or like in authority to your family, like whatever it is, I still live under authority. And I've had two of these moments. They stink <laughs> in the last couple months where two individuals have pointed out something in me. And it's yucky. <laughs> like it does not feel good. And you'd think that like adolescent Shibu could have emerged into adult spiritually adult that can receive that. But no, there was a slam the door moment. Of like, I don't like being told of my flaws. And both these individuals, by the way, gently. <laughs> they were not hammering me for either of these, in either of these situations. They were gently. One was while we were driving in the car and you could tell that this person wanted to tell me something for a long time and told me and I, I got to have a dialogue with this person, but inside was like flipping out, like, how dare you? <laughs> you know? But a father, as a father has compassion on their children, that's what God's like. Now, I, I think we have some caricatures of God. A caricature, quite literally, is like you go to a carnival or circus and an artist draws a caricature of you. They exaggerate some features of you to be a funny artistic image. Well, caricatures of God, here's a few that I think I have, and I'm guessing that you have too. God is a, a grandfatherly figure sitting down. He's begun things, but he's going to now sit down and watch them unfold. And, and when I need something, maybe he'll intervene. 
but not at my request necessarily, but just because he's a grandfather who knows best. And, and that's one caricature of God that I have. God's kind of distant. He's not really too involved. A second one I have is, uh, um, is God as a genie or as a wish giver. And this is a great caricature of God because it works until I ask God for something that he doesn't give me. And now I'm stuck with this picture of God that I had where he gives me what I want, but he didn't give me what I want. And so maybe it's the first one. And we have bits of all these, uh, I do at least, where we treat God as a little distant or we treat God as the, the wish giver. Another caricature, a third one that I want to suggest today is is God, you need to picture this, it's like God at a control desk and there's buttons everywhere and there's a, a red button with a lid over it and has a lightning bolt on it. It's like, uh, it's, the, it's the button that zaps me when I do something wrong. This is probably, if I'm thinking about these three caricatures, this is the strongest one for me. I put this on God a lot where I think he's got the glass lid flipped and he's got his finger just kind of over the button waiting for me to screw up. And then he's going to zap me. Uh, another picture is of whack-a-mole. Is God just up there just trying to smack everything in my life and just kind of, oh, there's another one. Boom. Nailed him. Points. You know, there's this sense. These are caricatures. They're meant to be a little silly and outrageous. Roll with me. But I think there's some truth to some of these where we, we put some of these things on Psalm 103 and we realize that Ah, that's why this is a really sad day the music died psalm sometimes for me. Because it doesn't feel like that's true. When it doesn't feel true, here's our picture. God has given us the Bible, his truth, his, his way to communicate us to us what his character is really like. And in the person of Jesus, that is fully known like God fully expresses himself in the person of Jesus. It's kind of like this. I, I, I have poor vision and you're all a blur to me right now when I take these glasses off. And that's how I kind of live my life. That's when I read Psalm 103 and I really kind of like, that's not true because he does treat me as my sins deserve as evidenced by last week because this happened to me because I did this and that was God with his finger over the lightning button or playing whack-a-mole with me. But then when I, when I put these on, I can see God clearly. And I want to suggest to you, I want to challenge you that this, reading the Psalms, diving into the life of Jesus, who's God fully expressed, is how we can correct our vision, is how we can see clearly what he wants for us. How we begin to see the week in Rewind and we see that he didn't treat me as my sins deserve and that he does have compassion on me. And if I'll step into this psalm, if I'll step into practices like confession where I write down my sins or I talk to God about my, my shortcomings, if I, if I tell someone else about those things, I'll experience that he doesn't treat me as my sins deserve, that his anger is not harbored forever, but it lasts but a moment. That's a challenge though, because that takes some vulnerability. It takes you to own up to saying, I want to do that. I want to practice confession. I want to be a person who, who gets Psalm 103, not at face value, but like dives into it and sees that God is who he says he is in this passage. Who satisfies your desires with good things. 
so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. I'd encourage you just to churn and meditate, read, ponder, and pray has been some of our action steps during this psalm series. Just to read the psalms, but to ponder them, to meditate, to think about them, and then begin to use them as prayers in your life. Uh, My buddy Dan, who I mentioned last week, Dan and I are partners and we meet every week. Uh, Now it's on Zoom and we just confess our sins to one another and we, we memorize scripture together. And Dan and I were in our 20s, like 26, when, uh, when we memorized this psalm. And it's because pornography had gripped both of us, like Dan and I both, and we were struggling. <laughs> we were guys who just wanted to be free from this habitual sin. And we found these verses, and we said, we need like these to be our default, because we think when we screw up, because of what happened last night or last week. We think God wants to really hammer us. And that's not to rewind to when I told you there are consequences for our behavior. There's consequences for every human decision, both positive and negative. And Dan and I were feeling the consequences of these decisions, whether that was the self-shame or kind of guilt and all those things. But we set out to say these words need to be our words. We need them tattooed on the inside of our eyelids so that we could remember who God is. And, and for some of you, you're, you need a, your default descriptions of God. You need the caricatures to be done away with. And like me, see God for who he really is. Who as a father wants to have compassion on his children. It was, I've told this story before, but it was actually my dad, my earthly dad, Matthew Curian. Yes, my last name's Matthew. His first name's Matthew. It's confusing. But, but he, uh, he found me in this habit. I was in my college years. I was 20 years old. And, and he, he called me and helped me. And it was just the kindest, most incredible thing to have a dad have compassion on his son and say, hey, I love you and this is not the best for you. I love you, and this is not the best for you. And like a visit to the doctor, it doesn't feel good. But it's the best thing for us when someone points out our flaws in a loving way. The Proverbs say that wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. That's a That's a really important, beautiful thought. And so today, I want to lead us there. Craig Cheney is going to come up in just a moment after I pray and lead us for how to confess and what that looks like. Um, But here's the last thought, and it's just this whack-a-mole picture. And this idea that God has a hammer, what I want to tell you today is that the hammer went somewhere else. It didn't go to you or to your behaviors, but quite literally, the hammer went to a place at a certain moment in time, 2,000 years ago. And God funneled all of the rage at sin, all past, present, future consequences were funneled into one man. And he willingly sent his son to lie down on a piece of wood. And then the hammer did go somewhere. There was the most important day in human history where everything turned and and Jesus said on their behalf, everyone here 
putting me on the cross, everyone that will be a part of Heartland Community Church at 12175 on August 23rd, 2020, for all of them, I will die. As a father has compassion on his children, that's the heart of God, to forgive and to set right you and I. So it's good news, it's beautiful news, and Psalm 103 begins to do this for me once I put my glasses on and realize this is who God is. It becomes like a joyous, important thing for me. Not a, this is not true about God. This is totally true about God. That he loves me like this. And he loves you like this. And he loves your kids like this. Let's pray together. Father, for each one of us, as we have these caricatures about you that we put on you, we choose to, uh, to delete those caricatures, to say that you uh, are not who we think you to be. You are who the word, the Bible reveals you to be and fully expressed your son, Jesus reveals you. And so Jesus teach us to be people who who can rejoice in a psalm like Psalm 103 because we know it to be true. In your name, Jesus, amen. So the question may be, what do you do now or what do I do now? And the psalm gives us guidance in that. Specifically, we can simply confess. If the correction of the Lord has invited us to trust Him, we can confess. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance, as the Scriptures declare. So we can take that to Him. and A way to do that is to take it to someone else. So if you're being moved by this today, if you've had an encounter with God around this today, an action step is to, to stop and reflect on what God has turned the light on about in your own heart, in my heart, and write out a confession. And in writing out that confession, imagine offering it to someone else. Spouse, a friend, coworker, a neighbor, someone you trust. But offer that confession to them. And in so doing, what you're acknowledging is, God, you've promised to deal with this. I am trusting you to do that. But I'm also entrusting myself to community to walk that journey out with me. What if you're the person someone wants to confess to? What do you do? Just encourage you in humility, receive that confession. Listen and receive what they have to offer. And in response to that, be able to say to them something like this. God loves you. I love you. God forgives. God forgives you. You can express these things to them. You can go on and just remind them that Jesus has died and completely dealt with all of the sins you've confessed. And He's going to apply the forgiveness He has to those sins. Those sins are gone, as this psalm declares, as far as the east is from the west. And further, Scripture declares God remembers them no more. He forgets them. What a place to go with confession. No judgment, that's been paid for. What we get to experience is the love of God that meets us where we are and gives us what we need.
That's what he does. So we're going to close in prayer and just ask him, if he's raised that up in your heart or my heart, let's act on it. There is real goodness available right there. Jesus, we recognize what you have offered us is the forgiveness that your own death on the cross makes possible, that your resurrection has replaced death with life, and us coming to you in confession and repentance replaces the death of our own sin in our heart with your life in its place. And we just ask you today, may you bring this psalm to life in us that we might be filled with your restoration, your redemption. We might be filled with your forgiveness, that you would heal our hearts as we confess to you. We trust you to do that because you're the, you're the God who can. And as we trust you, we trust you with each other, doing that together in community. Take our hearts there. Give us the life and restoration we need. We are trusting you for that today in Jesus' name, amen. It's been great to be together with you here, Heartland, and those of you online. May this be a week filled with the gift of God's psalm in your own heart. Have a great week.